0: Ow, ow, ow. Ow. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 290. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Pro- Podcast are brought to you by prize picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Producer Megan on the sticks, Cody Saftik on the line. Oh, you a shoey bet, Cody. Mm-hmm. Blackloy couldn't bust a grape. I mean, okay, so I did end up betting the fight, but I bet Blackloy plus five seventy five by KO, which saved me a lot of money. From like, if I had played the money line, I would obviously have had to put more money down, you know, to get a half decent return on the on the matter. So it did mitigate some of my my losses on the fight, but like, my God. My god, man. Like you lose a striking matchup. Like like he no take or no no real takedowns for Romanov. Just you know, three rounds cardio kickboxing. It wasn't pretty. And frankly, it wasn't very pretty for for Romanov like sure he won that fight cuz he was like he found the one guy in the division that he's like faster than. But uh, unless they're feeding him... No, absolute- he's
1: faster than a lot of guys. But he found the one guy that just opted not to pressure him and not make him work and not actually tire him out. So, yeah, yeah. They gave him the worst guy. I've come to realize, I'll be 32 in a month. going come to realize it was my old age, Paul. Just because you know one guy's really bad doesn't mean you can fade him with another guy who's really bad. So, uh, yeah, Romanov, terrible. Absolutely terrible. But in this case, Blagoy Ivanov shouldn't be in the UFC anymore. Let's be real.
0: So peach or blueberry? What do
1: you think, kid? For chugging purposes, I would say blueberry, but peach sounds kind of nice. Well, maybe for sipping purposes. Why are you doing a double shoey? No, I'm doing a single. Or you're shoo-y. just picking one of them. I don't okay. know. I don't
0: know if my new my new shoey shoe can uh, can fit both.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. You can't handle a double. Well, in light of Fourth of July, which is yesterday, I'm gonna enjoy a past blue ribbon with you. I'm not gonna shoey it because I didn't lose nothing right
0: well this could fit other too. than we're not mixing we're not mixing seltzers no here,
1: you don't want to you don't want to be you don't want to go down that road unless it was fourth of july um yeah yeah Paul's got a new shoe-y shoe exciting times children's children's rubber boots may
0: like i mean this is my first time using it but this i feel like may be one of the best decisions i've ever had
1: Could be, but I feel like the spirit of a shoeie is that somebody would take the shoe off their own foot, pour you a beer. So, like, what child pulled off its rain boot and poured that beer for you, Paul? That's the real question on the people's minds. Outside of winning picks, of course. For the record, it's like 32 degrees in Ontario, Canada right now. So hot. So hot. Me, personally, right now, very hot. That's why I'm also enjoying this cold beer. However, the picks, that's the main thing. Let's go hot picks. And I'm going to be straight up with you right off the get-go, Paul. Two weeks ago, six underdogs hit, like the four straight underdogs to open up the card, and then Macy Barber and uh, David Onama later on the card. Six underdogs, and a lot of them good plus money. Last week, you and I did pretty good. We outlined Luana Carolina and uh, Ariana Lipsky. Both used Pat Pat Mayo's model. Good plus money on both of them. Both hit. Overall, four underdogs on the card. Pretty solid. This week, I can't figure out which underdog's going to do it, but you know somebody's going to do it, so... Can't wait to jump into this one. 14 fights.
0: Let's yeah, pitter patter. Let's get at it. We've got uh, 14 fights. I mean, a couple of the fights we probably don't have to go too deep into the weeds in analysis because it's pretty straightforward. But main event, we've got Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Yair Rodriguez. Minus 400 for Volk, plus 300
1: for, for Yair. Who you got here, Code? I think you got to go with the champion to retain. I mean, yeah, 34 years old and at these lighter weight classes, you know, I'm always going to bring it up, but speed does not seem to be an issue for him. In fact, You know, he's big, strong, sturdy, very aggressive, comes forward. And so with Yair Rodriguez, you know, what makes him such a tricky fighter is that he's very dangerous pretty much everywhere. Like, if he's standing, he's going to throw a whole lot of unorthodox stuff. He's going to throw head kicks. He's going to throw flying knees, you know. Ask Korean Zombie if he even remembers it. But, you know, a little back elbow out of nowhere. So he's going to throw a lot of dangerous techniques that, of course, when you're the shorter man in Alexander Volkanovsky and you're generally charging forward, it leaves you open to stuff. You can walk into stuff. We're coming off a week where Guram Kudlitz, up two rounds for the record, Gets melted by a guy that really hadn't shown a whole lot of propensity to knock guys out. Just melts him. Why? Because we're playing punchy, kicky, Paul. It's going to happen. So, of course, when you've got someone that's kind of as dynamic and dangerous as Yair Rodriguez, it presents a direct threat. But Volkanovski's just so tough and so durable. And so a lot of guys are like, you know what? Why bother standing with Yair Rodriguez? I'm going to take him to the ground. And then you've seen that last fight with Josh Emmett. You've seen in other fights, you know, very crafty with a submission game, willing to throw up stuff and then he hits a triangle his last time out. But when you're facing Volk, you're facing someone that's cast iron, right? Like your your quirky little striking techniques of just knocking guys out, although plausible, you know, against him, probably a lesser chance because he's very durable. He's got a very good chin. In terms of, you know, wearing out one of these guys, getting them tired and catching them late, yeah, not going to happen to him. He's got five-round cardio. He might have the best cardio the division's ever seen. In terms of his come-forward style, uh, I think that even though Yair Rodriguez is going to have a lot of success with the kicks, especially in a big cage and he's got time to move around, just constant pressure, pressure constant you know forward movement from Volkanovski I think is going to just back him up steadily back him up to the cage if he wants to hit takedowns they're going to be there all night and whereas you might Catch him in a triangle choke i seen this guy in a brian ortega a t-city special triangle choke and he gets out got out of a guillotine choke for the record as well submission defense just seems to be on point you know he can fight a hard five you know he can rack up volume you know he can get the takedowns if they're there and you know he's super durable the price yeah it's a lot because of the way Yeah, uh, yeah rodriguez fights don't want to be betting too much plus money against him or too much favorite money against him But at the same time, case in point, the guy was like maybe a couple judges away from winning a fight of Islam Makachev up a weight class. He cleaned out 45. He's the king of 45. Yeah, Rodriguez, meanwhile, winning fights, winning good fights. But two fights ago, a guy that can't get past Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway, just defeats him on volume. Good fight. But again, loses that fight. His two subsequent wins. Well, the Ortega fight ended before it got going. He dislocates his shoulder, done in one round. And then the Josh Emmett fight, he looked good in the first, gets dropped in the first, right? Maybe loses that first, uh, took some good damage, and then the second comes back and wins it. So a couple nice wins, but not enough to propel him into Volkanovski's range at this time. So he is younger, he is definitely getting better, and he's a, a threat, he's a definite threat. But not enough for me to go the other side. I, I got to go with the King Alexander Volkanovski to retain
0: yeah, no, no disagreement here. Um, seems, I mean, it's really, really tough to 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 not back Volk. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to back him with my pocket, but the guy's just good everywhere, and he he can win a fight uh, at, with volume on the feet. He can win the fight by mixing in the wrestling, which I think. I mean, he's just so good at literally every aspect of the game. He's been in the deepest submission attempts from Brian Ortega. And was able to get out of it. The guy, he's been in some tough spots. He's been rocked a few times. Like, don't get me wrong. There could be a couple moments in the fight where you're like, "Oh God!" Like, he's you know, he's got him shaky. But until he loses that belt, it's going to be hard to go against him at 145 pounds. Um, I know that he's training with like Blood Diamond. Um, has uh, been like one of his main training partners for this fight. Which a lot of people may be like, "Oh, Blood Diamond, that guy's not very good." Well, it's like at the end of the day. It's like if you watch that guy's kickboxing highlights, he seems like a pretty good person to mimic, Yair Rodriguez. And he's 170 pounds, so he's a bigger, longer frame who does a lot of crazy stuff as well. So Volk's going to be ready. He's such a consummate pro- professional, even at minus 400. It's like I-, I can't help myself but you know, back him. I'm sure I'll have some like D-Gen parlays or something like that and Volkanovsky will be on them. But uh, no, like, serious wager on it. And I don't feel great about, like, a prop, like, whether inside the distance or decision. Um, inside the distance is, like, plus 160. Decision is, like, plus 120. I would lean towards Volkanovsky by decision, but punchy-kicky over the course of, you know, if he, if he mounts enough volume on Yair Rodriguez, who's been super, super durable, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't be surprised by a stoppage either, so... Yeah, like Volk maybe yeah. on some, like, degenerate parlays, but I'm going to struggle to get to it any other way.
1: Yeah, no, I would say that I'm looking at overs in terms of rounds just because Volkanovski, uh definitely got a whole lot of power, but, yeah, someone who likes to rack up volume and beat you down the stretch. And then, yeah, Rodriguez, Mexican, first and foremost. But second of all, yeah, the guy's very durable, and he's willing to scrap out for five rounds. So in terms of prize picks, you're looking at overs. You're looking at striking overs. You're looking at this probably to go three four five rounds at the very least and then probably be a a brutal fight throughout but the last thing i want to add is that volkanovsky's got like really good leg kicks he loves to just use leg kicks high volume you see in the max holloway fight especially the second one kind of what pulls him ahead and wins that fight because a lot of people thought holloway might have won it. to me what pulled him ahead and won that fight was just volume and leg kicks and really hurting max's lead leg right yay rodriguez relies on a ton of movement so i think those leg kicks are going to rack up put up numbers for him and then those later rounds Hopefully immobilize him. You and I briefly talked about it a couple of weeks ago with that uh, Edward Traverdi, and he's taking on a sorry Edward Petrosian. He was taking on a Duncan, right, from the UK. And this guy moves like a fake man's MVP, Michael Venom Page. Like he he's very he's very lateral. He's very light on his feet. He's very you know karate esque. And then when you see Petrosian go out there, like everything's just like a soccer player, man. Like chop wood, chop wood, chop wood. Like all he does is just heavy leg kick, heavy leg kick. All of a sudden, Duncan can't move anymore. All of a sudden, he has to exchange punches that's what kind of like plays it out. So I feel like Volkanovsky. takedowns is what's going to seal rounds, but he's probably just going to go out there and put on a one hell of a show for the fans. And against Yair, who's a willing dance partner to put on well a hell of a show you're playing into his hand, but I still think he wins.
0: Yeah. And those prize picks number, like so prize pick, significant strikes is one thirty five point five. It's a lot of significant strikes. Like, I think that's a pretty tight number and Fair. then takedowns is at three. It's like, that seems like a pretty fair number. I could see him getting to four. He's not, he's one of those guys It's like he'll mix them in, but it's like very rarely will he just like stick to that game plan because he is of the opinion and rightfully so that he can compete with anybody literally at any range. And he's kind of proven that, um, you know, being able to go tit for tat like in a volume game multiple times with Max Holloway and then being able to You know, he lost wrestling exchanges against Islam Makachev, but he's taking on a much bigger man and, like, lived to tell the tale, made that fight way closer than the numbers would have suggested. I mean, he's fantastic. Alexander Volkanovsky is the man. You're not going to find any slander here on this podcast. Um, Let's move on to the next fight. We got Brandon Moreno taking on Alexandra Pantoja. Minus 190 for Moreno, plus 165 for Pantoja. These guys have fought twice before, Cody. Pantoja's won both times. Is it going to be a three-peat?
1: Yeah, excellent question. I think this is a good fight. And when I talked about earlier on the show, like I can't quite identify which underdogs I'm liking, maybe Pantoja is one of the underdogs on the card that I that I like compared to the rest of them. Uh, he's already beat him twice, right? Once is technically an exhibition on the Ultimate Fighter where is the number one seated guy And Brandon Moreno is the number 16 seeded guy. Brandon Moreno may have won the first round. He went out there. He scrapped him out. It looked like, damn, this kid might be good. He's like 21 years old at the time. Pantoja chokes him out in the second. They run it back in the UFC a couple years later. Pantoja mauls him, man. It was a 30-26. 10-8 in the first round. And then it pretty much beats him everywhere. So this is years later. Now you've got a way more mature Brandon Moreno. He's not 24 years old anymore. He's fought Figueredo four times. He's won a title. He's been to the highest point of the mountain. He's a much different fighter so does he got the goods to be pantoja now yeah could be but first and foremost at least you got a guy that's defeated him before right now how does he defeat him because he's got a superior ground game like moreno is probably the better wrestler but in terms of taking him down and holding him down he's had trouble in terms of standing brandon moreno can stand and bang with anybody problem is is that he's super hittable And when he gets hit he gets rocked a lot of the time you watch a lot of these fights from moreno although very nice wins he faces adversity in almost all of them the Brandon Roy Val fight. He's losing the fight standing into, uh, with Roy Val until he slams into the mat and dislocates the shoulder, right? Uh all of his fights with Davidson Figueroa, which by the way are the majority of his fights over the last number of years. But for the most part, you know, Davidson either was able to stop takedowns or keep the fight standing or land those big shots and hurt him, predominantly win rounds based on landing those bigger shots. His fight with Kaikara France, Kai Car France has given it to him, doing fairly well for himself. He lands no takedowns on Kai Car France. In fact, he gives up a takedown to him but then he melts him with that body shot in third round. So yeah, against Pantoja, you don't want to be giving him these spots. If he takes you down and he's able to take your back, he's probably got the better ground game. Don't necessarily say he chokes him out again with the rear naked choke, but certainly enough to win the round at the very least, right? The stand up game, a lot more volume from Moreno, a lot more speed from Moreno. But again, Pantoja's got a decent right hand. He's got the goods to land those power shots. And what I think this is, is a better live bet opportunity for Brandon Moreno. See, Pantoja's never been into a five rounds, whereas Moreno's been five rounds, I think, three times. He's been to the deep waters before he's headline cards before he's kind of been to this championship um, aspect before, whereas Pantoja at 33 years old really hasn't, but I think Pantoja is going to be good for the first two rounds. I think his striking is, I wouldn't say as good as Brandon Moreno's, but since he's moved on to American top team defensively, he's a lot more sounder and he's got a good right hand on him. He's probably going to give him some problems. In terms of the ground game, he's got a good ground game. He'll be able to use that as well. I think it's three, four, five, where if Moreno's still around, if he doesn't get finished in the first two, Three, four, five is where he'll pull through because the volume's gonna to start to add up, those light kicks are gonna to start to add up, the constant exchanges are gonna to start to add up. And with Alexander Pantoja, his ground game or his ground game is excellent. His takedown defense is not very good. All of his fights, Eric Shelton took him down four times, Justin Ortiz took him down seven times. Brandon Moreno in that rematch took him down twice. Wilson Reyes took him down once. Uh David Figueredo took him down twice. Askar Askroff took him down twice. Manel Cap took him down twice. Brandon Roy Val took him down once. He's giving up takedowns. He's got a 67% takedown defense, right? I think that'll start to rack up the later it goes, is Brandon will land some strikes and then mix in the takedown, stay out of harm's way, steal around, continuously grind on him, tire him out, and then kind of the later rounds will be a lot more clear and decisive than those early rounds. But in terms of betting a pre-number minus 190-ish on Brandon Moreno right now, I think you could wait a round or two and probably get a better price and then hope he prevails down the stretch. I'm thinking it's more of a over three and a half, over four and a half, probably fight goes the distance type of situation. But it's going to be another like war. Like Both guys are known to be entertainers. They like to entertain. They like to go for it. And Brandon Moreno is not looking to play conservative. So if you're betting over tickets, your butt cheeks will be puckered up the whole time. It's got a massive live crowd. This is a big pay-per-view card. The place is going to be going crazy. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of finishes on this card. So maybe be a little bit weary of a a specific prop here.
0: Uh, I took Pantoja by sub. Uh, There was a book that I took it at first. It was at plus 425. And I was fine with that price. I was happy with, with taking that number. And then I found another book that's like off the board uh, where I got plus 530. So I cashed out the previous one and took the plus 530. I mean, anything like around plus 400. One book has it as low as plus 275. But it's like if you can get a plus 400, I don't hate that look. I think Brandon Moreno could land some takedowns late in the fight. Um, as Pantoja gets tired, he's going to avoid grappling at all costs. I think in the first couple of rounds and Pantoja just, he comes at you super, super hard. He lands some big strikes. It could be like a club and sub type of situation. I don't know. I just thought at plus five thirty, I feel like that's his best path to victory. It's quite a bit more than his money line. And, um, you know, they fought twice. He subbed them once and that was way back. That was back on what, uh, the ultimate fighter. It's like, Brandon Moreno is not even close to being the same person these days. But Pantoja's made some serious improvements as well. It should be a great fight. Uh, I would not be getting to Brandon Moreno at the money line. I'll pick Pantoja plus 165 for the purposes of the show. But, yeah, the sub prop uh, at anything over plus 400, I think, is uh, is where well, – it's not even where I think my my money is going to go. It is where my money is going and where I would suggest it goes. For other people, uh, moving on down, we got Robert the Reaper Whitaker taking on Drakus Duplessis minus four hundred for Whitaker, plus three hundred for Duplessis. Drakus got his like nose fixed or something, Cody. Apparently, he's not. Ah, Ah, what a narrative, eh? It's just like this guy fights for like seven minutes and like he just gets like (laughs) wild and crazy. And now it's like, oh, it's. He he needs something done to his nose. Now he's going to have endless cardio. I don't know if I'd be buying into all of that too much. Uh, Whitaker's been fighting very, very smart recently. Most of his fights have been five round fights. Um, I ended up taking the under. I took, uh, there was a minus 130 and a minus 132. I had to play at two different places because. One book didn't want to take all of the heat um, I think this fight goes under I think Drakus, this is his opportunity To kind of get himself into The main The main scene, the top of the division uh, Hanging out At range and just eating jabs From Robert Whitaker is not going to get the job Done, I think he's got to be Wild, a little bit crazy, a little bit Reckless, which is what he does in a lot of his Fights, um, to get The job done here against Whitaker And I feel like Robert Whitaker, who has not finished too many guys recently, he's been fighting some of the most durable guys at 185 pounds. I feel like Drickus's aggression is going to turn into a finish for Robert Whitaker. So I took, yeah, the under two and a half rounds at minus 130 and minus 132. Uh, Robert Whitaker will be my pick here, but I don't really want to attach myself to it because I think Drickus, because he hits hard and we've seen Robert Whitaker rocked literally countless times now it's like it feels like every single fight that he's in he pretty much gets wobbled at least it's enough that like minus 400 it makes me a little bit worried so that's why i attacked a total but i think eventually robert Whitaker will will line him up land uh, a massive shot and uh and put dricus away uh in all likelihood but yeah the under is the play for me what about you
1: yeah, I think Robert whitaker has got him outclassed pretty much everywhere. But the thing with Dreykus in, in terms of a knockout prop is like, man, he got a hard head on him. Like he gets hurt, he gets wobbled, and the guys has got absolutely zero quit. So in a three-round fight, you can see Robert Whitaker just staying at range using the jab, just painting up a masterpiece and blowing his face off, but maybe not necessarily putting the foot on the gas to get that KO finish. Also with Dreykus is that he'll revert to just like, crazy savage mode and just go berserk, grab a hold of you. And then he's very physically strong in the clinch. And I think you're seeing his wrestling game improve a lot as well. He used it very effectively against Darren Till, smothered him up against the cage, constantly just ragdoll him down to the ground, frustrated him, then eventually was able to put him away. Unfortunately, Darren Till bum and Robbie Widowmaker, Yeah, they don't call him that for no reason. The guy is an absolute epitome of world champion. If not for Israel Adesanya, he'd have like one of the longest reigning uh, championship reigns in UFC history really at 185. Unfortunately, one guy's got his number. Outside of that, Robbie has just been really good. He's been very consistent. And I think at home with the crowd behind him in good shape, getting a little bit older, but still still seems to have the goods. When you watch him and what makes him so effective is that he's a matador. He's got very high ring IQ. He uses the jab very effectively, very underrated wrestling skills as well. And you've seen him get rocked, and you've seen him get rocked, get up, and then immediately change the game plan. So being able to make round-to-round adjustments, that's what good fighters are able to do. Making in-round adjustments minute-to-minute, that's what great fighters do. And I think that even though he has been rocked, his durability durability isn't quite called into question And outside of, you know, crazy punch or kick or knee or elbow to the head, I think that he just chips away at him and just is very methodical. It looks like Dreykus is a a savage. He's a wild man. And then so him coming at you and being reckless and putting on insane amounts of pressure is what tires these other guys out. When you look at the guys, he's fighting Trevin Giles, Brad Tavares. Brad Tavares looked really good against him early, by the way um darren till and Derek brunson like i can't say that anybody's known for a deep gas tank whereas whitaker is you know a guy that can fight into the fifth round a guy that can put up great volume a guy that can land power shots a guy that can very much do it all so we talked about alexander volkanovsky earlier what makes him great is that he's not a generalist he's like a lead in all those areas i feel the same way with robert whitaker he really is that guy now at some point the torch has to get past he's been around for a long time he's trying to rack up some damage Strykus is one of these young contenders that hasn't really had his crack yet. So at some point, a guy like that is going to come in here and he's going to upset him. I just don't think this is the particular case, right? I think that, you know, skill and veteranship is going to win it outside of those just crazy bursts that is able to uh, overwhelm lesser opponents, not necessarily Robert Whitaker. So I do got him. Moneyline, it's big. It's big because I know this is going to be a wild fight. It's going There's going to be a lot of variables here. But, uh, but again, I don't feel necessarily comfortable taking the Whitaker by knockout. I think submission's way off the table for both of these guys. So it's either going to be a Whitaker knockout or a Whitaker decision. And I'm not super comfortable on which side I'm leaning quite yet. I would think knockout because the way Dreykus is going to attack is that sustainable against an elite level of competitor? Probably not. So he's probably just going to either kill or be killed. And in this case, if he ain't killing him, he's getting killed. So your knockout prop doesn't look too bad. I didn't take it. I just personally <laughs> don't feel. Oh, you did it. Yeah, I took yeah, the under. Okay.
0: I took the under took to cover under. both sides the, just in case Drick is does, ha- does does pull it off, which I think is unlikely. But
1: That yeah. might be the better way of approaching it. It's MMA, dude. Anything can happen. The way that guy fights especially, you don't think that he's got a chance of landing something. like yeah, he, he fights for that. your dollar. I just don't want to lose my dollar, so I'm going with the other side. But uh, he'll give it a go for you. That's for damn sure.
0: Yeah, I just took the under, man. I if Drakus, yeah. if it ends up being Drakus's day, that uh, then I'm covered. Like I struggle to see him winning a decision. I think Robert Whittaker will happily just h- hand out jabs over and over and over for three rounds, but like Drakus is going to have to burst through that, and I think he's just going to leave himself liable in more cases. He either you know pops in there, you know, gets through the jab. Lands something huge And maybe that's his day He ends up You know Getting Into the title conversation By getting through Robert Whitaker But I think more likely Robert Whitaker Knocks him out In the process of doing it Um But yeah I'm not gonna be shocked If Whitaker wins a decision It's relatively boring He mixes in some wrestling Um Plays it really safe Over the course of three rounds Like I mean He didn't finish Uh Darren Till So that one's a little bit It's a little bit sketchy He hasn't finished anybody In a long time So I think if it goes over it's probably more likely that uh that Robert Whitaker uh, wins a very very clean decision here but uh I guess we'll find out on Saturday moving on down we got Jalen Turner taking on Dan the uh, Dan the hangman hooker minus 260 for Turner plus 220 for hooker who you got
1: so my mind tells me that he, the hooker's gonna get smashed here like he's, he's getting beat up pretty good I think Jalen Turner knocks him out probably knocks him out in the first round and the under one and a half as well but, but I don't know how much confidence I have in there. Like, my heart's not letting me get super confident behind it. So on one hand, we got Jalen Turner, who's an absolute specimen, right? Six foot three for 155 pounds, unheard of. You know, Dan Hooker's got length. Dan Hooker's got reach. Those are Dan Hooker's tools. All, all of that taken right off the table. He's taking on a much longer man. Jalen Turner, young. Young and making very quick improvements. And I've been spectacularly impressed with this guy, fight to fight, how he's just able to use that length and use that grappling, use that knockout power. He's putting everything together quite well. So when you look at his run, it's like steadily better levels of competition, right? Because he starts off fighting pretty bad guys. Kalen Potter, Josh Koulibau, Brock Weaver, Euros Medich. Knocks out Jamie Malarkey. To me, that was his coming out party. He looked very fast. Because of that length, he's able to hit the target. And then he stays at the outside. If you want to bull rush into him, he's very good counter puncher. If you don't want to bull rush and you want to stay at the outside, he's got the length to just chew you up from the outside. So... I think he's going to put it all together. He gets the Brad Riddell fight. I was very interested in seeing how a good, decorated kickboxer like Brad Riddell could hang with Jalen Turner. Prolonged period of time, prolonged striking. I just never got there because he just choked him out with a guillotine very quickly. I didn't get much from that. He's got a nasty guillotine choke. Sure, he's six foot three. He's got a lot of leverage. If he gets a hold of your neck, probably going to be a problem. I like the adjustments. I like the modified guillotine chokes. I like his hand grips. You can tell that his jujitsu is good. But when you're that big, you don't want to be taking on a guy that's just going to rack up big top control. And that's what happened against Matus Gamron. Now, for the record, he dropped Matus Gamron. Clean knockdown. Gave himself a good go. Showed that he had three-round cardio unfortunately his takedown defense just wasn't isn't quite there yet but I think that there's some really good things ahead for this guy once he puts it all together Dan Hooker Dan Hooker at his best yeah he wins this fight at his best he wins this fight the guy that fought Dustin Poirier the guy that had fought Paul Felder the guy that can just take anything you give constantly move back constantly get in your face constantly make you fight he's got insane volume that don't really figure this one to be much of a grappling match but his grappling is you know as good not as good as Turner's maybe, but just like good enough to stay out of harm's way. It's probably just gonna be a banger of a striking battle. And if Hooker prime can take the shots, yeah, he makes this one hell of a tough fight. He may win this fight. I'm just not sold on the fact that he can take those shots anymore. You saw in his last or two fights back with Arnold Allen, Arnold Allen just puts a swarm on him, puts him away. Hooker's now at 155. That length isn't quite there anymore. That physicality isn't quite there anymore. He looked okay in his last one against Claudio Puelas, but very low level competition, guy that he was able to just basically beat up everywhere against these guys that are a little more aggressive, these guys that are a little stronger, he's going to get hit and he's going to take damage. And I don't know at 55 if he's going to sit there and take it for much longer. So I think Jalen Turner sparks him. But at minus 260, I'll admit, you got way more experience down for Dan Hooker. He's not fighting in his backyard. He's essentially fighting in his backyard. He's going to have the crowd behind him. may have judges behind him. It may be a crazy battle. And Jalen Turner looked good early against Gamrot, but he started to get frustrated and fade a little bit down the stretch because of that constant ground game pressure. Who's to say Hooker doesn't just make him fight off his back foot the entire time and tire him out and then have the judges sway it in his direction? So if this was minus 165, Jalen Turner, I'm all in. Mine is 260, Jalen Turner. Oh, I don't know, man. Maybe this is the apple pie shitter. So I am actually going to play Jalen Turner, but maybe like no higher than the third line, third line or lower.
0: Makes sense to me, man. Yeah, I think I'll, like I really struggle to get to this. This, minor, you know me, I, I struggle to get to like any minus two, anything over like minus 200. I rarely ever.
1: You two- know it's going to be a war. These are wars. These are all action fights, and you want to pay two sixty on an all action fight? Like, no, I want to pay two sixty on a lay and pray. That's how this works. Yeah, there's, be there's
0: really no meat on the bone here. I just really yeah. struggle at minus two sixty to like. I know that Dan Hooker has historically was super super durable, and we've seen that kind of go away. Um he's just he was in so many wars, he took so much damage in so many fights that. Um, I, I'm with you. I think Jalen Turner probably sparks him, but you know it's a my it's an over under one and a half rounds. The under is plus one hundred. I suppose if I was gonna bet anything in this fight, I suppose it would be that. But I mean, just because Hooker's been finished a couple times doesn't mean he can't come in with a little bit more of a technical approach here, make it a little bit uglier, extend this fight a little bit deeper. We have seen Jalen Turner. Uh, gas a little bit in some of his fights. I think even lo- even on a losing effort against Gamrot, you got taken down a whole bunch of times. I don't think Dan Hooker's got the wrestling to really make that type of strategy work. But maybe you could hold him up against the cage a little bit. But that yeah, that being said, I mean Hooker was incredibly large for 145 pounds. Like he's not even too much smaller than in Jalen. Turner. he's a couple inches shorter and he's giving up like a inch and a half of reach so it's like the fact that he made 145 is kind of insane when you think about it but yeah it's just it's one of those things where it's like i don't think these guys are all that different in terms of like their general template as a fighter and hooker has just been through so many wars at this time at this point that it's really hard to to back him even at plus 220 um i i'm gonna pick jalen turner but I don't really think there's much meat on the bone to uh, to be betting him. If I had to force an a- force action on anything, I suppose it would be the under one and a half. But even that, I don't feel great about. All right, we don't have to spend too much time on this next one, Cody. We got Bo Nickel taking on promotional newcomer, step in replacement Val Woodburn. Bo Nickel a minus minus twenty five hundred favorite. Woodburn can be had for plus twelve hundred. Um. I mean props to to Woodburn Stepping up and in Uh, Trishon Gore had to pull out And uh, there weren't too many guys Hanging around Vegas on International Fight Week That were like you know who I want to fight Bo Nickel Um, There's got to be so many fighters there this week Like there's got to be like Some welterweights that were hanging around Nobody So many people A lot of people wanted
1: to fight him A lot of people wanted to fight Oh yeah. How did they land on Val
0: Woodburn then like, I, I suppose both kind of like, Bob, I don't want to take... He had
1: his medicals, would be my guess. <laughs> I guess.
0: Yeah, he had his medicals because he was supposed to be on Contender Series, right? Exactly. Uh, in, like, a month or so. I mean, I saw, like, I, I went through his Instagram. I saw him with Kurt, your boy, Chris Curtis. Um, I watched a little bit of, like, some highlights and a little bit of, like, actual fight footage on him. It's just, like, sure, he's, what, 7-0. and Lost two fights as an amateur, you know, both by decision. He's never been finished, I suppose. But he's taking on arguably the best MMA prospect in UFC history. So, um, good luck out there, Val. We appreciate you stepping up and in. I mean, the fight's essentially unbettable. There's really nothing you can do. All the props are super, super chalked to the max. Minus 2,500. It's like, for even for your parlays, bro. Like, it's not really adding anything. Um, but yeah, Bo Nickel, they are not, yeah, they're not letting Bo Nickel lose to Val to anybody this early in the run. They got bigger plans down the line. So he's going to run absolutely through him. Um, yeah. That's, that's all I have to say about this fight.
1: Yeah, listen, man. I'm going to have to agree. Uh, the thing is, a lot of people fight Bo Nickel. Simple reason. Oh, sorry, sorry. Let me rephrase that. A lot of people not currently under contract with the UFC would fight Bo Nickel. Once you have a UFC contract, you don't want to fight them Because if you fight them, you're going to lose. If you lose, don't look good. If you lose a few, you're done. You're cut. No, 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 no. But if you're not in the UFC, well, that this is your ticket to get to the UFC. You saw Weston Wilson go out there. It would have been like, dude. You're probably going to get knocked down in the first round. It's just like, yeah, uh-huh. And you're going to get paid $12,000. Yeah, Venom might kick you four grand, Maybe get $16,000 to suffer a massive concussion on live television. It's like, sign me up. They are in. They are in. This is their dream. What ends up happening, by the way? Torched. Absolutely torched. But hey, he made the UFC. And they'll give him another one as a result. So that really doesn't surprise me. Thing with... uh with with him with the uh, sorry Valentine Woodburn Valentine Woodburn's in Las vegas he has his medicals and he was ready to fight in the contender series he's been training the UFC says hey do you want to take a UFC fight as, uh, as opposed to this Well I'm a massive underdog I have absolutely nothing to lose and once I do lose I still got three more fights on a UFC deal or I could fight for five thousand dollars on the contender series risk also losing and then what right back to the regional scene fight for a thousand bucks like why would you do that? So I've seen a lot of guys on social media not under contract with the UFC being like, "Dude, I will fight him. Sign me, send me a contract." I just think this one probably made the most sense. Now I'll admit this guy's a badass. Why? Because his name's Valentine. It's very much like a boy named Sue. Once you got that name, you're gonna have to fight your whole life through. And he's probably been fighting his whole life through. He's a badass. He's seven and zero as a pro. He was like five and two as an amateur. He's got some experience. Thing is, is that he starts off his first five pro fights first round knockouts his last two pro fights for titan fc they've been decisions he's not a huge power puncher and so what's his key to victory what's his path to victory is like cold cocking bo nickel that's the path of victory or like even if bo shot too far into a double leg and got caught in a guillotine i don't think it would matter i think you just pick him up and dump him on his head and get out of it right it's does he walk face first into a knee on the way in does he does he walk into a you know short little right hook that kind of discombobulate some because it's behind the ear like maybe that stuff could happen i get it but i don't see him stuffing the takedowns and Bo, as much as Bo's flirting with the idea of like hey guys i can strike too hey guys i'll show you a little bit he's not stupid and he realizes the path of victory is to take zero damage take these guys down to the ground and do that so i'm sure he's working on his striking and i'm sure you'll show see little pockets of it but at the end of the day. When he wants the takedown, he'll get the takedown. And once he's on the ground, you'll realize he's not just a wrestler. He's not just a high-level wrestler. He's got, like, excellent top control, very good submissions, strong, physically fit, and, of course, ultra-confident. So what do you do with this pick? Well, it's not going to decisions, so you take Bo Nickel inside the distance. Same thing with Joannis and Brito, for the record. He was minus 500 inside the distance, right? Minus 5, minus 1250 money line. Which you knew it wasn't going to go out of two rounds. So, like... It's still minus 500. Who wants to bet that? But it was a 700-point swing. Bo Nickel will be the same thing. You don't want to bet minus 2,000, minus 2,500. But if you could find a minus 1,000 and you absolutely had to have some action on it, it's probably the best way to attack this thing. So Bo rolls. And I know a lot of people are giving Trejan Gore like a hard time. Like, oh, man, he pulled out. And uh, (laughs) it looks bad because he's pulled out a few times. He's pulled out some other fights. It's hard to fake. I broke my wrist. I need major surgery. I'm out six months. That's hard to fake right so yeah. I think he hurt himself um unfortunate because the optics are who what hell wants to get in the cage with this guy but I'm telling you that quite a few guys do but they want to be it's got to be worth their while if you're in the UFC give me 100 grand and I'll do it if you're not in the UFC give me 10 grand and I'll do it that's how that's how it works you're chasing a dream when you're not there when you are there trying to get paid
0: yeah and like for a guy like Treshawn Gore He's coming off of a win against Josh Friend. So you don't want to become like if, if he if he didn't have that win against Josh Friend, I'm sure he wouldn't have wanted this fight because obviously then he would have been in a situation where he would be like three straight losses. It's like you lose three straight times in this promotion. You pretty much always get cut unless you're uh, you're like Sam Alvey. Um, but yeah, he knew where the bodies were buried. So that's a totally different conversation all the way together. But uh, <laughs> the interesting thing, like, over on Prize Picks, uh, Bo Nickel's significant strikes is ten and a half, which sounds really, really low, until you look at his three fights in the UFC, where he's landed one against Jamie Pickett, five against Donovan Beard, and two against Zachary Borrego. He just takes you down immediately from the opening bell and and chokes you or and submits you like it's pretty clinical at this point. Ten and a half may be high, Cody. Unless this is finally (laughs) the fight. Ten and a half may be high, Cody. Um, This may, unless this ends up being the situation where he comes out and he's just like, all right, I got a massive reach advantage. Like we didn't even really talk about that. It's like Val Val is super super short pretty like he's short and stout but like he's pretty sh- like you know his his arms aren't very long he's very very uh short stout frame for 185 pounds maybe this is the time that like Bo says all right i can like work on my stand up a little bit but uh under 10.5 significant strikes Sounds like really, really risky, but it's like I still feel like that number is a little bit too high. I think Bo just takes him down whenever he wants to take him down and and subs him as he wants to sub him. But I will say that like it doesn't really appear like Val Woodburn has a neck. That would be a bit of a concern. All right, let's move on to the next one. We got Nico Price taking on Robbie Lawler minus 260 for Nico Price. Robbie Lawler can be half plus 220. I mean, you you know me. I was like, I would love, I would love to back back Robbie Lawler, but I don't know, man. Getting finished by Brian Barberina last time out, that was ugly. Uh, he was even getting like outvolumed by Nick Diaz in the fight that he ended up, you know, finishing Nick when Nick basically quit um late in that fight but it's been a long time since things have looked really good for robbie lawler i understand the price completely here nico price should be the favorite minus 260 is is definitely not getting my my money but he will be my pick i am considering the under two and a half as like parlay fodder or uh I mean some people like maybe I could play it straight, but I may actually just like add it to a parlay somewhere. I think there's value to be had on the under under two and a half rounds, which I I still see out there at like minus one fifty five, minus one sixty in a couple spots. Uh don't think that's a bad look. Maybe Robbie can crack him. Nico Price has been finished a few times in the UFC now. But I think more likely than not Robbie just kinda hangs out at range and Nico pops him. Um yeah nico price will be the pick but the under two and a half is where i think my money's going to go what about you
1: yeah i'm gonna have to agree the last fight for nico price is certainly a bit of a head scratcher because the way he fights is fairly reckless and it involves him taking a copious amount of damage in order to give back a copious amount of damage but him getting beat up by phil Rowe in that third round knocked out he was tired he was slow he was flat-footed he did not look like Nico Price of old. Now, he's on a lot of injuries. He's 33 years old now. And probably the biggest thing that has probably just, you know, really hampered his fighting career, seven kids, Paul. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Probably why he's still fighting. He's the manet. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's as good as he used to be. Flip side to that is that Robbie Lawler 41 years old and almost certainly not what he used to be. Now. I don't really like seeing Robbie Lawler fight anymore. He was at one time my favorite fighter. Hell, even now he's still one of my favorite fighters. But, like, the past is gone. He's, like, the longest tenured guy. He doesn't have as many fights for the UFC as Jim Miller. But, I mean, he's been fighting for the promotion since the early 2000s. He's been around the block multiple times over. He was one time a young prospect. Then he was a faded away gatekeeper bum. Then he became a world champion. Then he went on a crazy run. And him at his best wins this fight. Him and his best just marches forward, watches, walks through all the pitter patter, Nico Price shots and bombs on him. The fight that he put on with Rory McDonald, the, the fight that he put on with Carlos Condon, you know, his ability to just withstand pressure, come forward. That wins this fight, but he's just not that guy anymore. Now, when I was in high school, again, Robbie Law is my boy, right? So when I'm in high school... Uh, I went to high school with this guy named Rob Wright, right? And uh, he was supposed to be super tough. His like reputation was that he was a tough guy. Be, oh man, Rob Wright! Don't want to fight Rob Wright. So I call him Ruthless Robbie Wright. I'd be like, oh, Ruthless Robbie, Ruthless Robbie Wright. Till one time he gets a fight at a party, right? Gets this guy Jack Matthews, and uh, Jack absolutely destroys, de- destroys, him. knocks out all of his front teeth. All his teeth are gone. So I see him, oh shit, man! How do you talk to a guy after that? So I'm just like Ruthless Robbie, like tough one. And then he goes. uh... Nah, I'm I'm toothless Robbie now, and that always stuck with me. Like man, pretty witty after that kind of a beating, but it was like he was done as a tough guy. Like his days of a tough guy were done. He just got smoked his days, and he, he wasn't ruthless Robbie anymore. He was he was toothless Robbie. I feel that way about Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler at one time is a former welterweight champ. You know, he he he's. I would not, I'm not say one of the best. He won the title when there was a bit of a void in the division, but he put on some excellent fights. He was capable of doing excellent things, and I'm not saying he was on juice at any point. Most of the old school guys were, but him, when he's ripped up and when he's chomping at the bit and his face is split up and he's spitting blood, that is a dangerous guy. But at 41, with multiple USADA tests every year and a you know a burgeoning family and just mileage, he, he he's not that guy anymore. And so the Brian Barbarena fight, he tried to get back to that, right? He stood in Nick Diaz's face. Nick Diaz landed a bunch of stuff, and Robbie just did that patented high guard. Alistair Overham used to do it. It'll work against guys that aren't going to knock you out, but as you move up the ladder, you don't want to be sitting there with a high shell guard trying to deflect shots. You need to work. But he did the same thing against Brian Barbarino in the first round. He stood in his face. He actually won the first round, but at the end of the first round, you can tell oh, the shots are already landing, and Brian is throwing a hell of a lot of shots. So I would think Nico Price needs to keep the same game plan going. Just throw as much volume as you can. Here are the two worries. Worry number one, he gassed against Phil Rowe in his last fight. Mm-hmm. So like a high volume game plan, although effective and would work in this scenario, like can he do it? And two, I think both guys have trained together a lot at American Top Team. Robbie's there for a long time and Nico Price has been there for a long time. So I don't doubt that they've crossed paths. And I just don't know what this full, this fight ends up looking like. The price tag seems a bit big for Nico Price, but there's a lot of big price tags on this card, right? You're going to nut up at some point and pick somebody. And I think I, I, as much as I love Robbie Lawler, I do think he's on his way out. So I got to go with Nico Price. And if Robbie was to spring one to knock him out, like inside my heart, I'd feel happy. The bank account, not so match. So I will take Nico Price to get the job done.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know, like, if Nico does like most of his work at like the main ATT though.
1: And Robbie moved down to Sanford, which then became yeah, what's it now? Kill Cliff FC. They, but they, they've, they've, they've definitely a long been. Time, in like, but they're Southern Florida guys. Yeah, so they must have trained. I, they've
0: trained. Yeah, they've definitely been in the same room at the same time, getting ready for a fight within like a month's period of time. At or it must have happened at some point, but um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I think the under is the play. Maybe Robbie can crack them. But uh, it's really, really hard to back Robbie Lawler at this point. It's like outside of the Nick Diaz fight, which is obviously Nick Diaz was completely done, done when he returned there. Uh, it hasn't been pretty in a long, long time. But thanks for all the the absolute wars that he's that he's put on. Uh. You know, him versus Rory McDonald is like one of the more iconic fights in history. So I feel like, yeah, it's like it's it's like it's his, it's his eulogy here. I uh, feel kind of bad about it, but it may very well be, uh, you know, his final fight in there on Saturday night. Moving on down, we got Jack Della Maddalena taking on promotional newcomer Josiah Harrell. Late replacement Harrell is a plus 600 underdog. And uh, Jack Della, minus 900 favorite Went and watched a few of Harold's fights And frankly, he's not that guy He's not the guy I would be fading Jack Della with I mean, he's got decent decent grappling But like some of these fights on the regional scene It's like he's taking a bit of a beating There was uh, some guy with a mullet that he took on I can't remember the name of him uh, two fights ago, it's just like he was up against the cage, t- takes one knee while he's got his hand up, and then takes another knee while his hands down, which is like that stupid like hand down rule. But it's like he was getting kind of worked a little bit, he, and it seems like he, you know, he trains with Matt the Immortal Brown. He seems super tough, durable, maybe a comeback kind of guy. But I think the box at boxing range is going to be way too much. Jack Della is going to have a massive reach advantage. Uses the full. Length of his, uh, of his strikes. And frankly, I just didn't really see enough from like the wrestling from Harold. It seems like he takes on guys on the regional scene. It's like the first round's like very, very competitive. And then his opponent kind of gases out and just like falls to smithereens. It's like, I don't think Jack's going to fall apart like that. There is going to be a fade of Jack Della in the future. And you know, a lot of people were fading, uh there were a lot of people who were jumping on uh, Sean Brady in this spot. Why? Because of the grappling edge. But like I don't see it from Josiah Harrell here. You know, 155 pounder. Well, in theory, 155 pounder. He missed uh missed weight in his two fights back. He ended up missing weight. And then his last fight was 162-pound catch weight. So he's obviously a little He's boy. He's like five foot seven, but he's a, he's pretty thick, I suppose. He struggles to make one hundred and fifty five pounds. He's kind of like a, I guess a little bit of a tweener, but this seems like a tough spot. For, like I mean, he's minus nine hundred for a reason, but like they opened it up even wider, and early action came in on Harold. Um, I don't even know if there's any value on it. He really struggles to. Uh, to defend leg kicks I, I, I saw in a couple of his fights He's just getting chopped Doesn't really have much Doesn't check them yeah, I think it's a tough night at the office for him But he's just taking taking a spot to get on the roster So good on him um, If he can work out that weight cut Get back down to 155 pounds Maybe he's got a shot um, You know in follow up fights But I think this is going to be an absolute drubbing Who you got here bud?
1: Uh, dead man walking on the green mile, man. Jose Harrow is another one of these guys that falls into the category of I shouldn't be in there with this man. They don't have anybody that's willing to step in on four or five days' notice. This guy is, because it's a great opportunity to jump on a UFC pay-per-view. He's on the prelim, sure, but it's a giant card. I get to have a free trip over to um, you know, an awesome country. There's gonna be crazy fans. People are going to really appreciate it. And there's zero expectations. What I'm going to go in there and lose. He's undefeated. Maybe he feels some type of pressure. But at the end of the day, you're a 10-to-1 underdog. Most people think you're going to get smoked in the first round. I think he's going to get smoked in the first round. What's he got to lose? If he gets smoked in the first round, big deal. He's still got three more fights on his UFC contract. And if for some reason he pulled off a miracle, then it's like instant fan favorite. And you know, you're know you going to get some work for you know a few years to come anyway. So... Yeah, he's gonna jump in there and do that. The facts are, yeah, five foot seven versus five eleven, as you mentioned. So he's giving up four inches in height. He's giving up six inches in the reach department. He's rocking a 67-inch reach. He's gonna get smoked on the tail end of every single punch. And Jack Della hits very, very hard. He's also got nasty leg kicks, as you mentioned. It looks like Josiah's got a, a propensity to give up those leg kicks. Don't think he's super durable. He just relies on the fact that he's a slightly better wrestler than a lot of these guys in the regional scene. He's short, stocky, physically in shape, and can power them on the ground. He wrestled a little bit in college. He has that. If he's able to take down Jack Della, that would be his path to victory. Take him down, hold him down, rack up two rounds worth of top control, call it a day. Not going to happen. Not going to happen for two reasons. One, even if he is able to get him down, I don't think he'll hold him down. Two, if he does get him down, He's not going to hold him down for a prolonged period. So Jack Della is going to be landing the better shots standing. If he doesn't knock him out, but he just lands some good shots, gets taken down and gets held down, the crowd, the judges, they'll still give it to him. I, I think you would need to go out there and put on a killer performance, huge performance, and really stamp a win over Jack Della. And I just don't see it happening. And for the record, funny for Jack Della, his last fight, he takes on Randy Brown, who's six foot three. Now he's fighting a man that's, Five foot seven. He is going to reach the target so much easier. I think he puts a clinic on him. I think he beats him down. I think he stops him in under one and a half. And I like it better than Bo Nickel for the simple fact that like Bo's going to all this guy. But like, have you ever seen Bo get punched in the face? Like just for the record, like have no. we seen Bo get hit in the face? No. So there's a little more of a like punchy kicky. It's like Jack Delick can take a hell of a punch, man. He's got a really good chin. Ramazad Amiv used to fight at middleweight and is a human blanket. He sparks him in one. Danny Roberts can't take a punch and gets sparked in one. And Randy Brown's actually very serviceable on a good run. Only one fight where he looked vastly out of place was against Jack Della. I think this guy's Jack Jenkins 2.0, and I like Jack Jenkins. So, yeah, sign me up for Jack Della to go out there and perform well in front of the home crowd.
0: All right, we got Yasmin Warigi taking on Denise gomez minus 400 for wariki plus 300 for denise
1: gomez Uh, your thoughts code yeah banger banger and i think pat immediately would say geez this is kind of a offset price for women's mma and so to that point i'd probably agree i think these girls are gonna throw down when you look at yasmin Yeraguí. Uh, she heavy heavy volume likes to pressure likes to throw down solid cardio very hittable She's gonna stand right in the pocket willing to get hit doesn't really move her head all that much Doesn't really keep a tight guard for the most part It's that she's overwhelming her opponents When you look at this particular spot It's like it's gonna be hard to go out there and overwhelm denise gomez because she's willing to throw down man She's super tough as well. She plants her feet. She throws heavy power punches I think, I think that would serve her good. But when I look at volume and I look at cardio, I definitely think Yaraqui has a solid advantage. I think she beats her right from the onset. But the longer the fight goes, the longer it prolongs, then you're going to really see those numbers start to rack up, the damage, the volume, all that stuff start to rack up you know, through three rounds. When I look at well, what would be the best way to neutralize Jasmine Yiriqui? I take down all day. You need to get this girl down. You need to neutralize her. I don't think her get-up game is great. I think there's a lot of defensive laps in her wrestling game. And why would you want to just stand with a girl that's going to go berserk on you for 15 minutes and throw down a tornado of punches? Neutralize her and take her down. Can Denise Gomez do that? She was like fairly soundly out grappled by Loma Luka Bume. So I'm going to go ahead and lean towards her wrestling is not up to snuff to go out there and rely on it for two of the three rounds. Like it's just not, it's not quite there yet. And th- that would be the best way. So I think they're going to throw down. I think it's going to be a very entertaining fight. I just think Yasmin is going to slowly pull away on the numbers the longer the fight goes. And eventually that leads to a decision. So Denise Gomez live at this plus money. I will give her that. Um, again, it's just an underdog I can't quite reach.
0: Yeah. I, I took Denise Gomez plus 350 on like Sunday. It's a good uh... price tag. I mean, plus 300 is pretty much the market right now. Plus 350, I'm like, I don't... I think Wariki... I think both of them are, like, really, really decent prospects in this division. And we're going to see them for quite a long time. And I do think that Yasmin Wariki should be the favorite here. She's an absolute savage. And she's put on some very, very entertaining, high-traffic, exciting, you know, dominating fights. I I mean, Lucindo versus uh, Wariki was pretty close. I just think if it's relatively close at plus 350 and these two girls just are swinging hammers at each other, I don't really, I, I didn't even factor in wrestling uh, whatsoever. I just think if they're just throwing at range and it's relatively close at plus 350, I took the shot for the purposes of like who I think is going to win the fight. I think Wariki wins the fight, but I think it's probably closer to like a 70 30 type of situation than, um, than what the you know the plus three fifty. So I took what I perceive as the value on Denise Gomes. Um, yeah, like if if everything was all equal and this was a pick'em, of course I'd be picking Wariki. But yeah, plus three fifty, plus uh, three hundred. I was willing to take the shot. Um, willing prop? to take the 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 Pat Mayo special there. Ko prop yeah. for who? I'm gonna look
1: for the ko prop for yes. Uh,
0: minus or plus 175, yeah, and that's no actually God. growing. So basically, the, growing. the books are saying you can take more if you want that.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I would. Only reason is, again, when you look at Yasmin Yuriki, uh, lots of first-round knockouts, someone that does like to be very aggressive and throw a lot of shots, but she's also only 24. So what you saw in her last two fights against Yasmin Lucindo and Estella Nunez, she's continuously getting better. But her fight with Estela Nunez was a banger. And she did get dropped. She gets dropped early. She gets back up. She comes on with a vengeance. She ends up knocking out Estela Nunez. And, and Estela Nunez is a very good one round fighter. Denise Gomez, I went back and I watched her fight versus uh, Milena Dudieva in Victa FC 49. This is just last year. She gets dropped twice. She gets knocked down twice by Milena Dudieva. I don't think her durability is all that good. And then she, since then, she's not really fought like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on this one. I I think the live crowd is going to play a huge factor. They're going to stand in the center of the cage, and they're going to just throw down. And because women's MMA, people generally try to target the overs on that. Like, I think this one's going no. the other way. So maybe Yasmin, if she wins by that knockout, plus 175, flip side to that for Denise Gomes. Maybe maybe she lands the kill shot. Maybe she's able to land something in an exchange. Like, Yeragui leaves openings, man. She's there to get hit. It's just you got you to gotta capitalize and hope she doesn't get back up.
0: What if I were to tell you, Cody, that Denise Gomes is younger than Yasmin Wariki? She's only 23, so it's like she's only getting better, too. And her last fight out there, she had a hell of a performance. And the one thing I will say is, like, Loma's wrestling is, like, criminally underrated fight-to-fight. She's really put in a lot of work, and you've seen it kind of come together. So it's like I'm— that fight was like short notice for her coming into the promotion as well. So it's like I didn't read into it all that much. Um I think I think Yasmin is an absolute, you know, a definite top end prospect with a lot of potential moving forward, but I just think the line is a little bit wider. Um, I wouldn't really suggest getting on to like the minus four hundred on Wariki because I think this could be a lot. This could play out a lot closer than than those numbers suggest, and that's why I took. It's a small shot, man. Like if sh- if she loses, it's not gonna like ruin my night by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but yeah, I had to. I had to take the shot early in the week. I saw the market moving and said, I had I had serious FOMO, Cody. Um, you know, you know how she goes. All right, moving on down. We got Jimmy Krupp taking on Alonzo Menafields. Minus 120 Krupp, plus 100 for Menafield. I mean, a rematch is strange. You know, it's very, very rare that they run it back. I don't mind that they ran it back here. It's like, it was a super, super fun slot fest between the two of them. I was on Menafield plus 160 heading into that. And I feel like I had a pretty solid bet. He wasn't able mm-hmm. to put him out of there in the first two rounds, but he was up two rounds. And then he gets soundly, you know, soundly beaten in round three. He was, he was definitely taken down, but, you know, he got those knockdowns and stuff. Like, you know, I think plus 160 was a pretty solid price there. But, like, we saw all of their different paths to victory in that first fight, right? It's like if Kroot's able to, like, secure takedowns, hold position, he definitely has an advantage there, but he wasn't able to hold down uh, menafield nearly enough menafield has got explosive power Is able to knock out anybody on any given night There were a ton of people who were absolutely Just like pounding the uh, The unders, the under one and a half And all of that leading into that fight um, And you know Round three It was one of those things it's like I wasn't even mad Cause like he lost a point But like the fence grab was so Egregious that was just like, well, yeah. His fence grab literally stopped the takedown from happening, and when you do that, it's like you have to have a point removed. So it ends up being a draw. They're running it back here now. They price it as a pickum, and I mean, I have no idea. I really, I think a pick'em is what I think the price should have been the first time. Croot uh, was a significant favorite. The fight played out. And now we kind of look at it and it's just like, this is priced completely accurately. I'll still side, I suppose, for the purposes of the show of, of, of what is my pick. I'll still side with Menefield, but I'm not betting it. I think the fight, the, the price is completely 100% accurate. Um, it's a pick em fight, uh, who you got here, bud.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with Jimmy Crude. I went with Jimmy Crude the last time, and found, I thought I was very thankful to get out of that with the draw because he lost the first two rounds. But not only that, he got massively dropped in both those rounds and barely survived both those rounds. So like even just making it to the third was a win on its own. And then the point deduction, and then he wins the round, settles with, for a draw, but like it didn't feel good, didn't feel good at all. The thing is, is that Jimmy Crute hadn't had a fight in 14 months, right? He was coming off a loss to Anthony Smith, where his knee just got completely obliterated. He had a lot of work done. He's still very young. He's only 27. But, like, he had a bunch of injuries he needed to get sorted out. He'd been on the sidelines for 14 months. And now you're jumping in there with a big, strong Alonzo Mennefield that, so it turns out, dude's getup game is pretty good. And as we all knew already, he's very physically strong. He's a good athlete. He's uh, very well put together, very fit. And when you can't get those takedowns and you have to feel that strength in the clinch, it tires you out. Jimmy Crude's got good cardio, but after the very first round in that fight, you could tell that they were—it was just a kind of a heavy pace. Now, he scores four or five takedowns in the very first round. Thing is, is that he can't hold him down. So, Menafield just keeps getting back up, and then the last, like, minute, Menafield just rocks his world. If not for getting clipped in that last minute— Kroot's looking really good in that first round. He goes into the second round hurt from the first, mm-hmm. takes a beating in the second, and then comes out in the third, still has the the know-it-all to, to shoot the takedown, get this guy to the cage, take him down. And Menafield who's up two rounds and has been stuffing this takedowns, he grabs the cage. Why does he grab the cage? Because he's, he's tired. tired. Okay, He's got bad cardio. He's always had bad cardio. And now he grabs the cage because he's gassed. Loses the third round clean, but because of the cage grab, loses the point. That's his undoing. He's 35 years old. Jimmy Crute is 27 years old. So I would think now Jimmy Crute not coming off a 14-month layoff, has the ring rust off, has already fought this guy, knows he can take him down. He took him down six times in the first fight. It, the small adjustments are what do you do once you get him to the ground to hold him down? And once you cause him to use to, to carry your weight, cause him to do all this stuff, he'll tire again. He's always tired. At 35, it's gonna happen again. Crute at 27. You can make an argument for him. He got tired because of the long layoff. If you get a fresher version of him, young, still getting better, the takedowns are on the table. He's just got to make sure he doesn't get chin checked. But this is a better price tag than it was the last time. And I just hope that he's made those adjustments, gets his fight to the ground, and and, and hopefully makes it look easy. So Alonzo Menafield, when he's on, he's like an Eric Anders. When he's on, dude's not bad. Dude's not bad. At least half the time, he is not on. And he just goes through the motions, tires out, and kind of stares at his opponent. So, Hopefully that version of the guy shows up because uh yeah, yeah, I I gotta go with the other side. And Jimmy Crude again at home, hopefully comes out and shows the world that he's still got it.
0: All right, we got Tatsuru Tyra taking on Edgar Chires minus Minus eleven hundred for Tyra, plus seven twenty five for Chires. Uh Tyra was supposed to fight what, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, the ABC on ABC five card with uh with emmett Topuria, yeah it was that card about two weeks ago uh clayton has a bad way cut and then the fight gets surprised yeah shocker shocker alert and uh and here we are with chai uh lamp to the slaughter here cody i mean tyra his back takes are just so solid Minus 1100 there's no way for me to get to it this ch- The real question I suppose here is like Does Tyra get this guy out of here super super quick and early Because like the, the minus or under one and a half is minus 145 Like that's still playable at that rate um, that's, that's kind of the big question that we have here um, Rather than is Tyra going to win Yes yes Tyra is going to end up being our pick here but uh how quickly does he do-, do it
1: yeah i'm thinking he gets it done probably first or second round i would lean towards second round but yeah i mean he's got such a slick back take like you said that it's hard to imagine that he's not going to end up on his back and it's one thing you see it a lot of times. It's like elite guys are on your back. You know, i Sterling's on your back, but they, they can hand fight him for five minutes. Like just because he's on your back doesn't mean he's going to get choked out. Tyra gets the back. He seemingly ends up finding your neck at some point. He caught CJ Vergara pretty late in the round. Again, a lot of just pure domination with his grappling. He's got a lot of good stuff going on for in this fight. Because see him and Klitson Rodriguez. Klitson's big for the weight class. Klitson's real strong and Klitson has a striking advantage. So there was advantages for him here. Against Edgar Charez, I'm not seeing any of them, Paul. He's at a wrestling disadvantage. He does not throw enough volume. He's not really known as a striker. And his grappling game is subpar in comparison to, Tats- to Tatsu Taira. So, I just don't know where he wins this thing. Now, I'll admit, you know, he's on the contender series against Clayton Carpenter. He, he hurt him a little bit in the first round. You know, he did okay in the first round. Second and the third, he gets gets taken down. He gave up three takedowns. He got dominated on the ground. He gives up both of the second and third round, loses the decision. He goes back to the regional scene, beats this Roberto Guerrero, and then he damn near killed a man, Gianni Vasquez. I mean, uh, Frank Collazo, the referee, uh, basically almost let a man die in a cage that night. But you'll remember, it went viral. He caught him in a triangle armbar. Dude's done. Dude's done for like... A minute, he's out. He's out cold and his arm's getting snapped in this arm bar, but he's out cold, so he can't really do anything about it. And the the referee's just checking, he's checking. It was a crazy, like, viral moment. So I think they signed him in a fight on the Contender Series coming off of that. He won the Fury FC Flyweight title in the win, but there's also a viral submission, right? So now he's on the Contender Series. And then what you'll notice about this card is, and I think it's the new mold for the UFC, instead of chasing down replacements they're just going to use guys that are already booked for the contender series. Like, this is essentially UFC bucket list. Mm -hmm. It's guys that are like, shit, I will take a fight and get killed. I don't give a shit about that. I'm Valentin Woodburn. I will get smoked by Bo Nickel. No problem. Sign me up. I just want to be there. Josiah Harrell, I'll come in as a 10-to-1 underdog. As Jack Dell and get murdered because I'm just happy to be there. Edgar Shirez. I still might be another fight on the contender series. Another two fights. It's another... When you lose in the UFC but you have a four-fight deal, you're guaranteed that other fight. Yeah, they might cut you after two or three, but you'll get one more. The contender series there's no guarantee, you lose, that's it. Fight three more times and come back to the contender series in two seasons from now, two years from now. Athletic Prime gone. So they're jumping at the opportunity, but that's why you're seeing these mismatch odds and I hope it's not a trend for the UFC cuz you used to never see 6 to 1 on a card. You never see 6 to 1 on a card. Now there's some 6 to 1s. Now there's some eight to ones. Now you have a card that has three separate double-digit figures. Like you got Jack Dell is a ten to one favorite. Uh, Bo Nickels a twenty-five to one favorite. Tatsuya Taira is eleven to one favorite. We're gonna talk about Cameron Simon. He's a five to one favorite. He should be a ten to one favorite. Like there's some there's some pretty big prices on this card. I would say.
0: I mean that's probably like the the truth for the entire industry at this point, though. Like,
1: but turning to boxing, like that's what you that's what you want to get away from is yeah, not I mean, have these minus a thousands. The books got sick, like with with like
0: Habib Habib up until like his last few fights. Like, I don't think he was ever higher than like minus three hundred. The Daryl Horcher fight, I think he was like minus seven hundred or something like that. It's just like, if you actually, actually, and that was considered a big price tag back then, it's just like they got sick of letting you have these free legs that were like 95% win probability for minus 700. Like, or, you Mm -hmm. know, guys that were going to win 90% of the time should have been a minus 1,000, but they were minus 300s on a lot. They got sick of, you know, guys like you parlaying them and this is how the books are fighting back they're they're making these lines a lot more wide these days and i mean for some it kind of stops people and they start looking for like ways to pick apart which dog's gonna fall apart that type of thing but yeah it's like uh, the the game's definitely changed like it's it's really really like does chires win one out of one out of ten times it's basically what they're saying to you at this point maybe he does so at like minus eleven hundred, maybe he does. Maybe Same. he does. So at like minus eleven yeah. hundred, they're not really leaving you any any meat on the bone there. Um, yeah, the real question becomes if Tyra is able to get him out of there in the in the first or second round. The under one and a half. If I was forced to play something in this fight, is how I would go about it. But uh, these back these backpacker guys, if they're not able to get the rear rear naked choke, they're just happy to just hang out there and wait for you to make a mistake so it's not something i really really love at minus 145 to the under one and a half rounds here to be perfectly honest like tyra if he has back control he's going to be like well this is perfect they're not going to stand me up he's going to look for submissions but he's not going to take any big time risks to um to ensure that he that he sinks it in all right, moving on down. We got uh, Vitor Petrino taking on Marcin Pracnio. Minus 300 for Petrino. Plus 250 for Pracnio. Uh Vitor Petrino, you know, he's a guy coming into, even into Contender Series. After Contender Series, a guy, you know, big-time bomber. Absolutely knocks guys out. And he takes on Anton Turcali. And, and oh, he was able to, like, kind of play Anton Turcali's game, mixing in wrestling. Um, it was an ugly fight. You know, they were kind of both... Landing takedowns, both guys were getting up, um, and Petrino shows he's got maybe a little bit more to his game. But uh, this Prakniau fight, this is kind of this is more of a matchup that's like right up his alley. Uh, Prakniau historically has had a questionable chin. He's been a lot smarter with how he's approached a lot of his fights. Um, you know, he knows that his chin is a little bit questionable and has been better at keeping range and playing it a little bit safe. I think more often than not, Petrino cracks him and uh and knocks him out of there early. So Petrino will be the pick, but minus three hundred, there's really nothing there for me. What's your take here, bud?
1: Yeah, going to be much of the same. Uh, I think that Marcin Pragnino the UFC's done him a, actually a, a massive favor. This is a guy that they owed absolutely nothing to. They didn't have to do anything for him, but they did. He lost his first three fights in the UFC all by first-round knockouts. Sam Alvey knocks him out. A very embarrassing fight for the people that remember. he runs face-first into two shots. Magomed and Kaliav ices him in one. Mike Rodriguez punches him out in one. I don't know how you keep your job with the company. You're 0-3. You got knocked out in the first round all three times. You weren't competitive in either of those three times. How do you keep it? But they do. They keep it, and they give him Khalil Roundtree because he's supposed to get killed here, right? This is his fourth fight. Then he's gone. He's a plus 290 underdog. But Khalil got bad gas tank. Khalil gassed out after the first round. Ike Villanueva is just flat-out terrible. William Knight is flat-out terrible. He outstruck William Knight like 74-8. to Like Willie just sat there and got his leg kicked off the entire fight. No sense of urgency. No sense of anything. Caught a short time after. Terrible fight. So can he beat that level of guy, Paul? Yeah, he can beat that level of guy. But I think Petrino, there's more to his game for sure. 25 years old, still a young, good prospect. Comes in with a lot of first-round knockouts on the regional scene. Brazilian regional scene, ISIS guy in the first round. What do you, What do you take from that? So when you see him on the contender series against Bello, He gets dropped. He gets hurt early. But the kid's in good shape, man, and I think he's fairly durable. So, yeah, he got clipped, but he gets back up. He puts a right back on him. He ends up knocking out Rodolfo uh, Bellotto in the second round. So, I think that he's got... Power striking i don't think he's got quite as much volume he doesn't seem to like throw big combinations or anything as much as he's waiting on that one singular shot prac if it ends up being a sparring match Prakniau's got good low kicks Prakniau's got probably better volume practice could keep this thing competitive but i think the the one hitter quitter power from vitrino would lead to suggest if it's going to be 15 minutes he's going to have opportunities to land that big shot i think it's the wrestling which i didn't necessarily knew he had until that anton Turkaj fight Turkaj is a swedish wrestler he's you know and that that fight was just scrambles and shots and wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. He took down Turkoglu seven times. Turkosh took him down five times. Heavy pace, heavy grappling pace. And Vitrino's cardio looks solid, man. Like, this guy is in good shape. And I think that's Pragnino's undoing. Like, he beat Khalil Roundtree because Khalil Roundtree gassed out, right? Even his fight with Felipe Linz, he wins the first round. And then he just, he's complacent to stand there and kind of watch, right? So... I think Petrino mixes in those takedowns. If he doesn't melt him with a big right hand, I think he just mixes in the takedowns, doesn't gas out, puts a grind on him. He's either going to win a decision or he's going to win by knockout. But uh, I-, I think the Brazilian prospect, uh, still a work in progress, but again, 25 years old and he's got a couple things that, some variables to his game that you can't teach. So I like what I see and I think that he'll continue to get better.
0: Boom. All right, moving on down, we got Cameron Simon taking on Terrence Mitchell. Simon a minus five fifty favorite. Mitchell can be had for plus four hundred. I mean Mitchell has like a whole bunch of finishes in Alaska F C. Like Alaskan regional scene. Not exactly the highest level of competition. Um and and he's obviously reigns supreme. He's the king of Alaska, I suppose, at this point. But uh no, Jared
1: Cannoneer. I mean, yeah, but... He's Jared, actually good. Jared, He's actually good. None of the other ones Jared
0: Cannoneer, to get good, had to go to the desert,
1: Cody. That's true. Leslie Smith as well. Oh, sorry, not Leslie Smith. Who's my girl? Um, you know who I'm talking about. Lauren Lauren Murphy. Lauren Murphy. Yeah, she's from Alaska. Also had to exactly. go to the desert. Exactly.
0: Had to, had to go down to Phoenix. Had to go down to Arizona. To, to improve their craft. Jared Cannoneer wasn't always the Jared Cannoneer that we um, are blessed with these days. I mean, the guy was two weight classes bigger. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when true. you live up in Alaska, That's you probably got to keep a little extra meat on the bone to, uh, to maintain your body heat. But, I mean, you in were desert, already—
1: It just melts right off. Now you're a ripped up middleweight who's in title contention.
0: Exactly. I mean, just just a little bit of sunlight, sweating a little bit, and all of a sudden the guy's just super, super jacked. But I mean, you were the previous fight or two fights ago, you were taking shots at Terence Mitchell, saying Simon should be minus a thousand. So I didn't miss that. Um, I, I, I imagine. I, that. I imagine you got Simon. You got Simon all day. You got Simon inside the distance
1: yeah i i got him all day twice on sunday like the guy i think he's got him beat absolutely everywhere but this comes back to bucket list it's a bucket list thing so when you look at terrence mitchell because what catches your eye is that he's 15 and two it's just like oh shit he's 15 and two but that that's just you know the optics on the outside looking in his wins are over absolutely nobody he's fought for alaska fc predominantly right throughout and then finally he jumps out on uh the ultimate of season 24 right so he comes on season 24 it's a flyweight season. He's a flyweight. He gets in there with Kai Franz, who's obviously good. But at the time, you know, people didn't really know who he was at the time. And uh, it's the first, like, real step up in competition for him. And K- Kai Franz just comes right forward, puts a combination on Mitchell. Mitchell just folds over. 30 seconds. 30 seconds, he's done. First time he stepped up in competition, he lasted 30 seconds. After that win, he took two two years off. Comes back for Alaska FC. Then get this, Paul. He decides to leave Alaska FC. You know, Alaska FC is the bottom of the bottom. People laugh at him all the time. I need to get some improvement. Alaska combat entertainment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, not fooling me, Paul. It's the same thing. He just goes back to can crushing. So when he lost at Kai Car france which is 2016 to now, which is the span of seven years, he's had four fights. In those seven years, all four of them in Alaska. You don't mean to tell me LFA had never offered this guy a fight? You mean to tell me Bellator had never offered this guy a fight? He's 15 and 2, technically with a stint on the Ultimate Fighter, and there's nothing? I don't know, man. So his name was actually floating around recently to a lot of like local matchmakers. Like they're looking to get him back. He hasn't fought in, oh, well, I guess he just fought three months ago, but before that, he had taken. Uh, yeah, Uh I guess he never really took a whole lot of time off he just fights about once every few years I, I guess after he won his one comeback fight in 2018 he took off until 2022 so between the ultimate fighter four years he had fought in once you'll see one of these, lo- these wins Josh Terry it's by disqualification doesn't appear on a sure dog record they have no record of even happening apparently he got disqualified in the third round which is interesting because all of his other fights first round finishes he's On paper, not been out of the first round in nine years. So then it all starts to add up for you. Here's a guy that had fought locally in Alaska, right, against nobody, racked up a pretty record, got it, used it to get onto the ultimate fighter, spark in 30 seconds, realizes, fighting's not really for me, takes four or five years off, decides, hey, why not beat some local guys in Alaska for old time's sake? And then the UFC calls, and you can make your dream come true. Jump up and take this spot. Wouldn't you? You're 33 years old. You've never fought anywhere other than Alaska in one time an exhibition fight in Las Vegas. Yeah, of course you're taking the plane ride. Of course you're taking the opportunity where does he win this fight I can't tell you he, he he likes to wrestle on his regional scene fights and he's got a lot of submissions that would be his key here Cameron Saiman wrestling doesn't look all that great he's an all action striker a brawler stay in your face put a lot of pressure on you you can and foul the shit out of you like the guy's got to watch himself but you got two paths to victory here path one maybe he can take him down maybe he can control him I don't see it happening but the wrestling would be his avenue thing number 2 Cameron Salmon gets himself disqualified because boy, that guy throws up a lot of fouls, man. God damn. Mm-hmm. That um, almost
0: cost him last time out.
1: Yeah, it almost cost me last time out, too. And I'm like, okay, he's young and he's wild and, you know, he made some mistakes. And then you hear Dreykas at the press conference frothing at the mouth, being like, me and Cameron are the real Africans. You're like, oh man, maybe they're both crazy. <laughs> God damn it. Strikers can wrestle a little bit though. I'll give him that. Mitchell's wrestling is good by Alaskan standards, but yeah, like once he tries to make this jump up, it's not going to go well for him. Who was the other guy? I-, I used to know these names off the back of my head. I knew every single guy, every guy's ever fought. There's just so many fighters now. Who's that bum Christos Diago's beat up? Um I I shouldn't say From bum. Alaska? You should never call a guy a bum. No, if they yeah, fought yeah. like Car- it- Carlton Carlton Minus, okay? Carlton yeah. Minus came to the UFC. And he was when he signed with the UFC ten and one. Ten and one he fights Matthew Samelsberger. Thing is, all ten of his wins are in Alaska. And he's a good wrestler. And he's out of this like Avalanche Wrestling Academy. He comes over and it's like, this guy should not be there. And so he loses to Samelsberger. He loses to Christos Thiago's. They cut him. I-, I see he's actually rolling up a couple of wins on the regional scene again. Five and eight guy in Alaska. <laughs> This three and O uh, Skyler Schosler, okay, three and O. But if you click on him now, he's four and three. Who are the three guys he lost to? Carlton Minus, Alaska FC UFC veteran Patrick White was on the Contender Series out of Alaska. Terrence Mitchell. That's what these guys do, bro. They're just fighting the same, same local guy off the stool. Uh, this guy literally just came off a crab fishing boat two weeks ago. Like this is what they do for their free time. You used to plant trees. Okay. So imagine it was like, Hey, you can go down to Flimflaw, Manitoba and fight a guy. And they'll give you 250 bucks in free drinks. You might not do it. Some dude there that's been cooped up in a tent for a month. He's doing it. That's, that's the level of competition. This guy's fighting. So could he win? Of course he could win. It's punchy, kicky. Will he win? Yeah, way harder. Way harder. Way harder to actually go out there and pull this thing off. So no offense to the Alaska FC veterans. They're just trying to have a good time like everybody else. But uh, I I, I don't see this one panning out particularly well for Terrence Mitchell. And so same in, right? Flyweight. You never want to pay big price tags on flyweights. Or sorry, it's not even a flyweight. Yeah, Terrence Mitchell's a flyweight. His last fight was at 35 Every other fight he's had in his career is at 25. So he's coming up a weight class on short notice, going to a strange land, fighting the best guy he's fought outside of KKR France. And he lasted 30 seconds against KKR France. None of this bodes well for him. And so 500, the only reason it looks good, that minus 500 is because compared to the other three big favorites, it's half the price and probably as safe. Unless he gets himself DQ. God damn it. But we'll have to wait till Saturday to see if that happens or
0: not. Yeah, at minus 550, I feel like some maybe he, hopefully for his sake, he rectifies that whole thing. But it's like you get three fouls in one fight, you lose a, a point in round one. He looked great in rounds two and three. Round one was obviously very, very competitive. But yeah, three fouls, all of a sudden, you know, it's teetering on the side of DQ type of situation. Like at minus 550, it kind of keeps me away uh from this type of fight but i'm with you i'm picking simon to win i watched a few of terrence mitchell's fights i didn't see all that much and i think you were talking about like flint fly manitoba and tree planting i think it would be a a much better much better comparison is like you know oil country up in like you know right like alberta fort mc fort mc or fort Mac, or uh, where was the other disgusting place that i spent some time in Uh, I can't even recall off the top of my head right now. But yeah, yeah, it's like, dude, if you went in there and you're like, man, I've got a crack rock right here. It's just like they will fight you for that rock immediately. Not that I, I mean, like they, if a fight promoter went into any of the hotels, like on their off week with whatever they were craving, it's just like those guys were absolute heathens. That was like the craziest Stuff I've ever seen. Like walking through those towns on like a random Tuesday. Just. It's the unknown part of Canada. Most people don't go up there, and for good reason. No, uh, man,
1: because you're just walking down the street, and then someone's like, well, you think you're better than me because your shoes got laces, man? And you're like, oh, <laughs> come on, man. Like, yeah, my no, shoes it's got a laces. it's a child's around. rubber boot, actually. Why doesn't yours? Probably because you spent the <laughs> night in the drunk tank, and they took them away from you. I don't know, but why are you offended somehow? But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's northern country. Oh, buddy. Uh, Grand Prairie Grand Prairie,
0: Alberta Was the other place
1: That's That's way up north man People are like Oh, it's Alberta It's like It's like seven hours North of Calgary Or something Yeah It was like Three
0: and a half Four hours north of Of Edmonton Like it's up there It's up there Nobody goes up there Unless you're going up there To work like and uh and yeah when you you don't have too many women in these things so it's like the guys just become absolute savages it's like they roll into town you wouldn't really go to the like we would have like for our tree planting camps we would have girls that were tree planting with us and it's like we wouldn't go to the bars because it's just like if we went to the bars with all of the girls from our tree planting camp it's just like we would end up having to fight a bunch of riggers and just like yeah, It's like, yeah. bro, I've lost like 45 pounds planting trees this summer. It's just like, I am not in like, I'm in optimal, you know, if this fight gets extended for 15 minutes, I've got the cardio to go. But it's like, I don't, you lose basically all of your power doing that type of job. It's like, it was, it was, it was a lost cause going to it's the bar, absolutely- going to the bars in those yeah. places was just asking for trouble. You're basically just guaranteeing that you're getting into a fight.
1: And then you're you're coming out of a wilderness camp where it's like a dry camp, and then these riggers, they got cocaine, right? <laughs> so not only are you tired from working a, a physical manual labor job all day, fifteen minutes they can go fifteen minutes, man. The cocaine will carry you through, right? You only notice you got stabbed afterwards. So, uh, Cameron Salmon beats Terrence Mitchell is the bottom line on that one.
0: Yeah, man. Some. Uh, we, let's move on. Let's move on. I've got stories, but it's for a different time. Uh Jesus Aguilar takes on Shannon Ross. Minus 145 for Jesus Aguilar. Shannon Ross can be high for plus 125. Action is coming in on Shannon Ross. I feel like this is gonna be one of those fights where it's like Shannon Ross is gonna look pretty good early. Um He's gonna look, you know, like the side. He's definitely a technical striker, but it's like, man, this guy's durability. Is a gigantic red flag. Um, Aguilar hasn't shown that much power on the feed. He's a little bit more of like a a wrestle boxer. Likes to mix in the takedowns. But I don't know, man. If I, with a guy like Ross, it's like I've seen him get dropped so many times in so many fights. Uh, I I will never, I I just won't get to it with my own money. Uh, Good luck if you do. But Aguilar will be the pick for me. I think it's probably a better life betting opportunity i think shannon ross is gonna have some success particularly early um i just feel like eventually jesus aguilar was gonna is gonna check that chin and i trust aguilar to go a full 15 minutes i can't say the same thing about shannon ross he's just been finished so many times and i feel like his durability is just for 125 pounds it's like it's about as bad as it gets so aguilar will be the pick for me what about you
1: yeah, I'm actually going to take Shannon Ross. Couple reasons. None of them particularly all that interesting or meaningful. But yeah, they like Shannon Ross. They're trying to get him a win here, I think. Uh, he lost on the Contender Series. He got knocked out by Vinicius Salvador. And yet they still signed him to come into the UFC. And he gets knocked out by Clayton Rodriguez. And yet. They're bringing him back out here. So I feel like they'd like to get him a win. He's very entertaining. He's got an entertaining all-action style. They're giving him a home fight. They're doing their best to actually set him up for one. Now, when you watch him, it's like he's got good striking. He, I wouldn't say good striking in the sense of he's hittable and he doesn't got a chin, but he's got good striking in the sense that he's long. He can fight long. He can fight to the outside. He's got good volume. He can rack up. I think his cardio is good. The one thing that seems to just end it Is the bad chin? He's got a terrible chin. So what does the UFC do? They book him against Jesus Aguilar, a guy that's eight and two and has never knocked out an opponent. None of his eight wins are by knockout. In fact, he's got a guillotine win, a rear naked choke, a second guillotine win, a third guillotine win, a fourth guillotine win, a decision, and a fifth guillotine win. And you look at those five guillotines, he pulls guard on most of them. Like, it's his move. I'm sure it's his move. I'm sure he's comfortable with it. But like... It's not going to work in the UFC, man. And so when you see him as Tatsu Tyra, he's certainly out grappled. He gets smoked in one round in that fight. I'm not going to hold anything against him. I think Tyra is the real deal. And when you make so many mistakes and you're fighting a guy that takes your back like that, yeah, it's going to be a problem. But still, I think he he puts himself in vulnerable positions and he gets away with it. So with Shannon Ross, how does he win the fight, right? Because if he tries to pull on some sucker guillotine choke, Shannon Ross is going to get on top of him, establish some top control, and rack up some ground time. Probably win the round. If he doesn't take him down, it ends up being a stand-up battle. I can see Jesus coming out here and trying to club him with something, hopefully try to club and sub him with something. But it's unfair to say Shannon Ross can't take a punch. Okay, listen, he'd been dropped a lot of times in the regional scene. Fair. But the last two... Clayton Rodriguez and Vinicius Salvador. Bro, those guys bang, man. Those guys are heavy hitters. You got one guy, Clayton Rodriguez, that's not even a flyweight, who missed weight for his fight with Shannon Ross, and the guy's got heavy hands. And there's Vinicius Salvador. I think he was on a three-fight winning streak all by first-round knockout or second-round knockout coming into his fight with Shannon Ross. He dropped Shannon Ross three times. wasn't like the first shot just put him out. Like everything that landed put him on skates. So I know what you're saying. Why would you ever want to bet this guy? And for the most part, I don't. But he's plus money. He's plus money on a card where I've taken predominantly a whole lot of favorites. Underdogs are going to come through. And what I got Ross is I got a better striker. I think his cardio is solid. He's fighting at home. The UFC's trying to give him a favorable matchup. And if his only issue is that he can't take a punch, they've given him a guy that's never knocked out an opponent. Enough for me to take the plus money on him. So I'll take a small flyer on Shannon Ross.
0: Friends don't let friends bet on guys <laughs> that lost to Trash Can in their code.
1: At least he didn't get knocked out, though, right? At least, <laughs> at least at least Trash didn't Can should put him out because that would have been pretty,
0: pretty bad. I mean, I don't want to actually bet on this fight. We should make this into a shooey bet. I'll take Aguilar, you take Ross.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm in. All right. Even Ross's other loss, that Steve um, Ersig guy, he just debuted. He's in er- L- Ersig
0: is, St- is really good <laughs> he debut. Looked
1: good, man. He looked really good. So. So it's like, oh, he's one in three in his last four. It's like all three of those guys are much better than Jesus Aguilar, and he's fighting Jesus Aguilar in his own backyard as a plus money underdog. I think he could do worse.
0: Whose own backyard?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess it's nobody's own backyard. But, yeah, Shane Ross, he's Australian. He's not going to get – like, yeah, it's not – yeah, I suppose it's Las Vegas. Nobody's back here. I don't <laughs> I think, know why I thought this card was I, in uh, earlier Australia. In the, earlier in the... it's got it's got Volkanovsky, Robert Whittaker, Dan Hooker, Jack no, I know. Shannon Ross. Yeah, my bad. I thought it was in Australia for a second, but yeah, no, it's a Vegas card. So. You
0: said something earlier where where it seemed like I you did mention it, it earlier was in Vegas, or where where you thought it was in Australia, and I was just like. I probably Are, meant to i'm gonna pretend that didn't happen You're just only correcting me man i'm correcting you now because you because you yeah. said it again uh but yeah it's in That's Vegas true. but like yeah well, it's, it's my weird mistake. that there's so my many apologize. Aussies on this card no you don't have to apologize for anything uh you just be ready just have your shoe ready for uh for next week there bud Ross because Aguilar has Maddalena. never knocked it Aguilar sure. has never knocked anybody out but what a what an opportunity to get your first knockout of your career against Shannon Ross! I'll tell you that much. I'm willing to put a shoey. I, I mean, with my new shoeie boots, it's, uh, it's, it's it's. You're exactly, a little more liberal with just throwing them it's shots fun. around. It's easy. Yeah, I'll just throw them around shots for everyone. I
1: I was hoping because you kind of like Denise Gomes a little bit. I was <laughs> hoping you weren't going to no, no, offer no. me some three to one shoey bet or four to one shoeie bet because. Yasmin's a four to one favorite, but it's like, would you take that bet? No, you wouldn't take that bet. I don't like saying no to shoey bets, so it's like I didn't want you to paint me in a corner, but you did it, so I'm happy. I'm happy with taking this one. Ross versus Jesus Aguilar, straight up. I hate betting against Jesus, but in this case, I'm gonna have to take a shot.
0: I I don't I like doing the shoey bets on ones that keeps me like it keeps me from betting like actual money on like these sides a lot of the times that's like that's kind of my my general go-to with the shoey bets is like because i have a shoey bet riding on the line with it i'm gonna be less inclined to do something like super degen and waste a whole bunch of money fading or changing something that like i'm kind of give or take on um yeah it's like the what the six to one shoey that we had i wasn't even close it was Vicky Leons. Like, that was a perfect example of it. It's just like, I am not putting a cent on Victoria Leonardo. But, uh, but yeah, a shoe-y, a 6-1 Chewy, six-pack Saftic had a potential to happen. I'm about that life. All right, finally, we got Esteban Ribovich taking on Camwella uh, Kirk. Minus 145 for Ribovich, plus 125 for Camuela Kirk. Who you got here, bud?
1: It's just another underdog I can't quite get to. Like, when I look at Esteban Revivix, is that he he looked fairly uh, untested, unproven, I suppose, on, like, the South American regional scene because he's fighting a lower level of competition, and he just smashes these guys. Guys got big, big power, but, like, what else has he got to his game? So his fight on the contender series, he's a big underdog, I'm pretty sure. No, no, he's a big favorite. He takes on this Thomas Paul, who I actually didn't mind. This Thomas Paul's not bad. But uh, Rubovics goes out there, and he puts it on him. Again, first-round knockout. Guy's very physically strong. He's aggressive. I just don't know how he's going to be able to carry it. So when he takes on Loik Rodzbodanov in his UFC debut, Loik was on a short notice. Loik's not really known for his cardio anyways. But uh, Loik is like a power grappler, man. If he's able to take you down, he's going to spend lots of time on top of you. He does his best work on top, very physically strong, Tajikistan fighter. He took down Rubovics a whole lot, but he couldn't hold him down. So right then and there, it's like, damn, this guy's actually got an okay ground game that I didn't really know about. His uh, ability to get back up, especially against an elite-level wrestler, or at least a high-level wrestler, solid and on point. And for the first time, he has to go to a second round. He has to go to a third round. His cardio checks out. So I think with a with a good, solid camp, able to prepare, able to go out there. And for the record, uh, he fought Lloyd Radzvadonov because Kamala Kirk pulled out. So now they're rebooking the Kamala Kirk fight. I think he's going to be better off because of it. He just fought uh, 15 minutes. That's going to be good. I thought he fought a much better guy than Loik Sprads Badanov Gave a solid account for himself. He's a bigger, stronger, more physical guy than Kamala Kirk. It's really going to come down to the wrestling. And Lloyd's a better wrestler. And I thought he held his own. Kamala, meanwhile, I think you can get back behind him for, for plus money. You know, as an underdog, I don't mind it. He's fought at an okay level. So the more I look at it, right, it's like he's fought really low-level guys, and he generally likes to build himself back up after losses. So he loses to Kyle Reyes, and he comes back fighting an 0-2 guy and a 12-11 guy. Then he loses to Anthony Backham, who's 8-4. Well, he comes back fighting a 1-0, right? Loses to Billy Q in the Contender Series. Loses to Bruno Souza. When he fought Makwan uh, Amir um, right, the, he wins the fight, but it's super close. Like, it's a very close, toughly contested fight. He edges it out. I thought he looked better against Damon Jackson, and he got smoked. He got out-wrestled. He got out-grappled. He got out-struck. He had nothing for him. And that's what it dawned on me. His cardio is not all that good. He faded pretty solid in the Billy Q fight. He faded uh, versus Damon Jackson. He's not really all that physical. And if he's going to rely on his wrestling to take Rubik's down, because you're getting outstruck that badly by Damon Jackson, Rubik's going to tear you apart. He's going to have to take him down, which is possible. But if Loic couldn't hold this guy down, like he's going to get up and he's going to continue to torch him. The only one thing is like at least Kamala's got four or five fights in the UFC. He's got some experience. Whereas Rivovic is still green. Going to make some issues. Going to make some uh, mistakes. Run to some issues along the way. I just can't get behind Kwan Kirk. Again, his steps up have been Damon Jackson, Billy Q. That's about it. You know, he lost both of them. The Mack wanamir fight, he could have very well lost. The other wins, not all that impressed with them, to be honest with you. So, Here's a kid I thought was a good prospect. I thought this guy could be good. You'll remember because we made a we, we bet Billy Q in that fight. He won the first round against him. He was like a minus 275 pre-fight favorite, and it flopped up to like minus 350 after the first round. Then he fell apart. He was a good prospect back then. But that was four years ago. In those four years, he's fought five times, gone three and two, and looked pretty middling the whole time. No improvements to his game, no real physicality, no X factor, and his path to victory in this one, was just wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. Don't know that he's strong enough or good enough to do that for 15 full minutes. So I'll take Rybovics. I, I went out, rule this one as like a 50-50. Why not take the underdog? And Kamala maybe surprises him in a few spots here and there. But I think one guy has had a chance to prove his skill set and has just kind of floated in that same area. And Rybovics, he-, he he's getting better, man. He came from a South American scene, jumps into the contender series, flourishes, takes a real tough UFC debut. I wouldn't say flourished because he lost, but showed me showed me that this is not just a one dimensional I crush guys from Alaska in this case I crush guys from Venezuela like it's he he's fought the South American scene is tough it's legit guys from Peru guys from Bolivia they're fighting guys that want it guys in Alaska not so much but we've already discussed that so yeah I got to go with Esteban to get the win
0: yeah I'm with you I actually just added it to the code right here um I think what generally happens I mean, he. this opened up, like, close to a pick It scorched all the way down to, like, minus 200. And then people took the the shot on Camoella-Kirk uh, from, like, plus 170 all the way up to, like, plus 130. seems like the market has, like – now there's, like, correction back the other way where it's like, wait a second. It's like, uh, okay, like, Rybovich was taken down 11 times, but he got back up and he landed some good shots against a guy uh, in – in uh, Loic, who I guess was a little bit exposed last week uh, Got beaten down bad against a really legitimate prospect The
1: guy's good
0: Yeah, yeah top good. end prospect so I think a lot of people are probably with their camwell kirk bets Are thinking that like Kirk can come out here And just go takedown after takedown But it's like Loic wasn't able to hold him down And um, I think when they're striking at range Rivervich showed enough to me that like if this guy wasn't on his back, he was—I mean, when he wasn't on his back, he was landing really, really nice shots, doing pretty good, well for himself in that fight. I'm with you. I think—I uh, think Rybovich is definitely the side here. Uh, and I really don't have too much faith in Ken Kirk going out there and just maintaining a wrestling game. It's like eh, he took down Billy Q twice in their fight. But otherwise, it's like he hasn't really been able to do much with the wrestling. So I think his wrestling may be a little bit overrated. And I think Rybovich is definitely playable down like in this in this range. It's like under minus 150. Um, I think it's back in the playable range. And that's why I hopped in. I grabbed the minus 139 while you were talking. Um. So, yeah, my bets this week. I've got Rybovich minus 139. I've got uh, pantoja by sub at like a ridiculous number that's not even on market but like I would play that up to like plus 400 I think it's worth like' w- worth a poke um what else am I on right now give me one second here a couple more bets oh I took uh, Denise Gomes at plus 350 I mean I plus anything short of like plus. 250 i probably wouldn't take the shot i think wariki is definitely definitely the truth um i believe that's all i've got on the card as of right now no sorry the under in uh whittaker versus duplass so i got four bets as of wednesday this week those are my four favorite spots i'm not sure entirely sure how much more i'm going to be adding these 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 pay-per-view cards tend to be pretty sharp on the money lines and a lot of the props is just a lot more attention. A lot more attention means a lot more action coming in from uh, from a pretty sharp market these days. So, yeah, those are my four bets. Hit them with the PRP code.
1: Yeah, this week we're going to go with Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, for the purposes of right now, I think I'm going to take Pantoja, and that'll be dog number one. Robert Whitaker, Jalen Turner, Bo Nickel, Nico Price, Jack Della Madalena, Yasmin Yeriqui, Jimmy Crute, Tatsuya Vitor Petrino, Cameron Simon, Shannon Ross, underdog number two, Esteban Rubovic. So yeah, 14 fights, two dogs, doesn't sound good, but as Paul mentioned, like it's a big high-profile pay-per-view, the line's been out for a while, you used to be able to get a lot of these guys for like minus 350, minus 400, parlay four of them together, you know, walk away with a good plus money price tag on it. Not so much the case anymore, they're going to force you to take a few shots here and there and... Of course, the more shots you take, the more prone you are to, you know, exposing yourself to that apple pie shitter. So try to keep it tight if you can. But for the most part, it's like I think some of these are fairly straightforward. So it's just, you know, weighing out the risk and reward and how much it makes sense, probability, all that jazz. Leave it up to yourself. You'll figure it out. But I do feel like we're light on underdogs this week. But again, I just I can't really identify the underdog and I don't chalk that up to like. I don't have the eye for the underdog. The last two weeks have been dog cities. Been been hitting a whole bunch of them. Willing to take those shots if those shots are there. Not quite seeing it. E- even the shot on Pantoja, like I don't want to bet against Brandon Moreno. In fact, I'm hoping to bet Brandon Moreno live after he loses the first round or two. Right, but you know, not every not fourteen favorites are going to win. I gotta I gotta take a couple shots. Shannon Ross, I don't mind Pantoja. I'm on the fence on. And and I'm just waiting for a Cameron Simon or a Yasmin Yerqui or a Jack Della Maddalena to break their ankle or something stupid because you know how this shit works, Paul. But uh, yeah, barring a freak accident. Yeah. Hopefully we uh, keep some luck going here.
0: Yes, sir. All right. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck.